Welcome to Lead the Narrative TV. I am your host, J. Lauren Norris. We, we know for a fact, you know this, it's true. There are narratives in everything in life. How you make chocolate chip cookies, there's a narrative. What place you put the cookies in and, and how long they stay in the oven or how long they stay in the refrigerator or how many chocolate chips are supposed to go in. Everybody has their own story. Well, my grandmother did it like this. It's all a narrative. It's all a narrative. But it seeps into everything we do. It's every relationship. It's our education. It's our society. It's our culture. It's our faith. It's our families. It's our freedom. But we also know that with every narrative, there's a counter-narrative. There's their story and there's your story. And that's what Lead the Narrative is really all about. I want to gather the stories of people who have a different story than I do, a different background than I do, a different understanding than I do. And so I invite people to come sit right here at this table with me and have a conversation that I probably couldn't have on my own because I never thought like that. And so today I have in studio with me a new friend. We only met a couple of months ago. Uh, the entirety of our relationship was about four hours of conversation in a lobby of a hotel. And so I, I want you to help me welcome my guest, Ms. Shante Kenny. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So aside from thinking <laughs> that is the strangest guy I've ever met, <laughs> what kind of thoughts went through your head in and around our conversation when we first met? Oh, I'll tell you one of the main ones that when I went home and I kind of played back everything that had happened that evening that we met, one of my main thoughts about you was, he's just really a sincere guy. I'll take that. And so that was very interesting to me. I enjoyed how confident you were in your faith and how powerful you were in creating stories, the way that you just absolutely, I told you two things and you just created a whole story around it. I said, well, now, wait a minute. It's pretty interesting. So that was one of the biggest things. And I can normally tell when somebody's sincere, when somebody is not as upfront as they, you know, God has given me a, a pretty good discernment of spirits. And so I can normally feel people out like that. And that was one of my biggest things when I when we met. But I enjoyed our conversation. It was so interesting. It was hard to believe it took as much time. I or know. We spent as much time as we did by the time it was all over. I know. And uh, quite a few people, because I stayed for the rest of the event, for the rest of the weekend, and a couple of girls were telling me, well, I saw you when you came in and I wanted to talk with you, but you were over there talking with that uh, with that guy for a very long time that I didn't even get a chance. I was like, well, that was my first time meeting him. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I never meet strangers. And so when you, I always tell people, you can, you can, and it's gonna sound, it's gonna sound strange, but I think that there are some people that you meet and that you have a relationship in heaven. And when you connect with them here in, in this realm, it's almost like, wow, we're continuing something that we talked about a long time ago. It's like spirits, yeah. like spirits, like energies. They just create, they connect and it becomes as if we've been friends and we've known each other for a very long time. And that's, that's really what it, that's what it was for me when we met. I think scripture says he placed eternity in their hearts. Mm. And so, so you connect with it. Yeah, kindred you, spirits. Yeah. You're like, I, I recognize that yeah. one. You know, they say if you walk into a room where there's a piano and you pull out a trombone or you pull out a guitar or whatever and you play a note, that the strings in that piano that are the same note will vibrate. Really? Because the frequency resonance recognizes itself. 
I believe that. I do. I believe that. And I believe that that we as individuals here, we do the same thing. And I think, personally, I think that's just one of the most powerful things. I, I, I think that's the beauty about God and the beauty about God's creatures. Now, when we met, I understand you work in the legal field. Is that right? I do. And do all kinds of different uh, aspects of business and law uh, as, a, as a part of your regular vocation. Mm-hmm. But you also have a ministry on the side, and you do some work with women's leadership and women's ministry. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, uh, as you say, I do. I'm a full-time, since I was 19 years old, uh, full-time civil litigation paralegal. We litigate all sorts of things um, here in all over, actually all over the world, and have enjoyed that for a very, very, very long time. But I've also, I I was raised in the church. I am a full-on Pentecostal girl, been in the church since. <laughs> the mom has had me in the church since I was two. Wow. And so I've always been involved in ministry in some aspect or another. And since about 2016, when God really began to take me on this journey of exploring and getting to know him in a different way and myself in a different way, things have kind of evolved. And we have created, or I have created, and I say we, when I say we, I'm talking about me and the Lord, because I can't do anything on my <laughs> own. And so I tend to say we. Uh, we've created what I've, what, uh, what is called Next Level. And it is a ministry that's designed to help in, encourage and inspire other women. And what I do is, what I believe is there is a key, there is a tool. The Bible talks about the uh, upon this rock, I'll build my church and I'll give you the, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And I believe that there is a key for every, every situation, every enemy that we face. And it's a matter of understanding which, which key unlocks this door, unlocks this weapon, which tool that you use to do it. And so what I like to do, what I, what I remind everybody is I have the tools for what it is that you need. I always tell everybody, use your keys various keys for various things in our life. I don't care what it is you come up with. So give me an example of a key. Okay. So you may be depressed. There is a, there is a key for what your depression is, or there is a key for, like I was just talking about this the other day, there's a key for imposter syndrome for you while you're on this journey to what it is that you're, where you're going, your journey of becoming greater. There's a key for that. And so your key for imposter syndrome, when you, for example, um, you begin to, be, you, you grow to become more confident in your confidant. Okay. okay? And God is your, com- when, when, you, when you stand on the word, when you stand on God, he is your confidant. He is my confidant. And sometimes we lose confidence in ourselves, not realizing that, we have, we have lost a little confidence in God. And so there are things that we have to do. There are things that we need to do to reinforce every single day to rebuild our confidence in our confidant. And the more you do that, doing different things like, of course, studying the scriptures, reminding yourself who you are. When, when, when I was going through my imposter syndrome, and even now when I hit imposter syndrome, I go back to what God taught me when I started this journey, even to create this ministry for helping women. I didn't understand who I was. So he said, okay, what I want you to do is I want you to create a list. I want you to create a list, the me that God created. 
And so I, in, in that list, he was like, I want you to stop thinking about who you've told yourself you are. And I want you to start listing everything that I told you you are. So I would go through, I would go through the day and every day God would, you know, he would say something or he would send somebody to say something. And it would be like, you are valuable. You are beautiful. You are beloved. And so what I began to do was I began to write that list. I began to build that list. If I pull out my phone, you'll see that list that I've been creating since 2016 of who God said I was. And whenever life begins to hit me, I go back to who I actually am so that I am not living the me that I created because the me that I created was based upon the things that were happening in my life and all the negative things that I allowed life and others to tell me throughout my life. And so I held on to those and I walked in those thoughts. Sounds like and a narrative. It sounds like a narrative. I begin to, you know, and so, so whenever I start messing with or whenever the enemy which is myself, starts whenever these voices start saying, oh, you're not this or you're not good enough, I'm reminded. I go back, and God always reminds me, go back to who I told you you were. And it's easily and readily available. Another thing that he, when I start thinking that I can't do this, you know, because things happen in life. He puts us in big situations, big projects, you know, exposes us to big things because he's a big God. And I start to think, Lord, this is just a little too big and too much for little old me. Because you know who I am, okay? In 2016, as I'm on this journey, reclaiming my identity, which is one of the things that we talked about when we first met, he had me create a victory list. So I have a victory log in my phone. So these are all the times you've won. All the times I've won. All the things that I've did. Big things and little things. I can try a case. I know how to speak. I made it through this workout. I am, um, you know, I, I drove a car. I braided my hair. I, I went on this trip by myself. Just a million, million little things, a million big things. And it's long. And I, I add to it consistently. And is that something when you're working with women who are struggling with their identity, with their own power? Uh, and, I mean... It seems like right now one of the narratives of the mass media and one of the narratives of the cultural divides, the clashes, is that any given community doesn't measure up to every other community. Mm-hmm. And it's a pounding against the identity. You can't be good enough mm-hmm. because. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter what your skin color is. At some point, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be against you, right? Yes. Whether it's the right part of the world or the wrong part of the world or it's the right culture or the wrong culture or you're trying to appropriate somebody else's culture – do these lists of victories, do they counter that? Yes, they do. In, you know, in my, in my opinion, they, again, they remind you because everybody is going to have their, their opinion about everybody and everything. Right. It's all, you know, all of us. It's based upon, we're going we're gonna to have our experience. We're going to tell our story based upon our experience, our lives, the things that we've been exposed to. I'm going to look at you, say what you can't do and what everybody else can't do. You know what? It just doesn't matter. What is, what is it that you believe about yourself? Who is it that said, it took me a while to discover it, but I finally realized that your opinion of me is none of my business? It's irrelevant. <laughs> it's irrelevant. And I tell people that all the time. And it took, it, it, I mean, I'm not going to lie. That was actually work to release 
my thoughts of other people's opinions towards me. Did you ever find that what you thought they thought about you was wrong? Was always wrong. Was <laughs> always wrong. In, and, and I'm going to tell you this, in the good and in, the, in, in, in a positive way and a negative way. Because I was, I, was, I was that person, because of my background and a lot of things that happened in my life, I, I thought so negative of myself. I gave myself a negative identity. Other people thought very highly of me, and I always combated their positive thoughts towards me. Well, you've got a, a great job. You've got, a, in your words, a long career, which is astonishing to me because I'm thinking, what is she, 25 years old? No, How can you have a I long, long? I will be 45 <laughs> here on the 27th. Happy birthday early. <laughs> Thank you. But you're a beautiful woman. You're a powerful woman. You're an accomplished woman. I can see people saying, wow, I wish I was like her and having that little bit of jealousy. But you couldn't receive that because no. you didn't see you like that. I did not see me like that. And it's so it's so easy. And this is one of the things that in my journey of becoming becoming the greatest version of myself, that's that's the journey that I'm on, becoming the greatest version of me, becoming who it is that God has called me to be who he who he created me to be and being that person living in that person living in that space I had to I wasn't living it I wasn't living it I I you know I I was a hoarder of words and emotions I feel very very Say very I was Say a that. hoarder of words and emotions wow I, f I feel I, there, very I think there are a lot of people that are living in that and they're not either they're not aware of it or if they do become aware of it, they, they'd rather just kind of push it off and go, that's not really true. It's a, it's a, it's a hard reality. It's a hard reality to face. I am not going to play with it. So how'd you let it go? Um, Is that like when the, when the U-Haul truck backs up to the door and somebody's just using a shovel and taking it all out? There was this realization that the way that I was living and the way that I was thinking wasn't serving me. And so I got so comfortable being in that space. And it was, the, again, it was the space that I had lived in for a very long time because of a lot of past pains that I didn't want to deal with, um, just some truths that I didn't want to face about myself. But when I got, when it got to the point that it became so tight and it wasn't serving me, I had to acknowledge that, okay, this that I've been doing isn't working. So now it's time to live. What I did, what, what we did was we created a comfort zone. I had a circle. God had me create a circle. I was looking at it again this morning. It's so funny. I, he had me create a circle and he was like, I want you to put your comfort zone mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And so I laid out, I made a list of all the places, all the thoughts where I was comfortable the things that I was comfortable doing, words that I was comfortable saying, people. beliefs, people, the whole nines. And I made a full list of them. And then God said, now I want, to I want you to challenge yourself to live outside of that. How hard was it to get rid of people that were in that comfort zone? It was not hard at all, believe it or not. Really? And I'm going to tell you why. Because I'm just going to guess before you say this, I'm going to guess there were some family members that were in that comfort zone that were perfectly okay with you living below your abilities. Of course. There were some friends that you've known for a long time that were like, girl, you just got to stay in this culture. Yeah. You got to stay in the circle. You got to stay in this cycle. You got to be just like the rest of us. Who do you think you are? Yes. Yes. There were, there were, there were 
a lot, it, it, even in the church. It, I mean, a lot, it was a lot. And it was, that was hard to break away from. But at the same time, it was easy because I began to change my language. I began to change mm. conversations. I began to change the way that I looked at people and I received people. And the more I did that, when I, when I started having conversations with people, people decided they didn't want to have conversations with me anymore. So I didn't have to leave them. They left me. Made them I didn't, uncomfortable. Simply because <laughs> where you want to talk negative and you want to think negative, I switched it to a positive conversation. Right. I switched the way that I saw things. And when you, <laughs> when you stop agreeing with people like that, people, do not, people no longer want to talk with you anymore. And isn't that sad? Because I, I, on the one hand, you look at it and go, I don't really need you in my life if all you're going to do is drag me down, insult me, make me feel like you. And, and the, the strange converse of that is they're usually the ones that leave when they're the ones who would benefit the most from staying and mm-hmm. taking on that transformation. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and I think, you know, when I talk about leading the narrative, one of the things that I see is that the media is really good at finding that place where negative mm-hmm. trumps the positive, mm-hmm. where there's more negative to be talked about, more stress, more anxiety, more problems, more fear. And the more we can stir that up Thank and you. create anxiety in relationships, the more we can divide yes. people. And, and that, it breaks relationships. That is, and that's the whole. That is the whole intent. That's one. Of, I mean, I speak so much, and I'm always giving out positive words because I want to change the story. It, and you're right, very right. The media and everybody just kind of grab it, and it's so. It's really crazy, and it started with me, because people would tell me positive things. I couldn't gravitate towards the positive, but I was all for the negative about myself. Interesting. Right? That's crazy. But I would not allow anybody to talk negative about them on their own self. Now, I would take on every negative thing about myself. I would, you know. But Is that because it was easier to believe? It was much easier to believe. And I don't understand that the negative is always easier to believe. You don't have to have any hope in it. it you know, you, there's no faith in the negative. It seems as if the moment you say something negative, everything begins to shoot and 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 confirms that negative thing that you have said and everybody is so quick to yeah 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 but when it's when you step into a positive you it requires faith and faith is the substance of things so for the evidence of things not seen it requires faith. not it re- yet seen that's it, a big key <laughs> yes. it requires you to see something that you that is not readily and and you know apparently visible and so it's hard for people to step into that. I want to dig into that for a minute because if, if you listen to someone like a Paul Martinelli or a Bruce Lipton or a Daniel Amen or a, a Caroline Leaf on the faith side of, of neuroprocessing and neurocycles and I'll, I'll tell you, I have no idea who any of those folks are. I'm okay, right now. I've got all of their books. I'll, <laughs> I'll share some with you. Um, so all of them talk about what we call neuroplasticity. Okay. In the 1980s, the thought was if your brain is damaged, then it's about six to eight weeks from the time of the recovery. Whatever happens in that six to eight weeks, if somebody hits you in the head, there's physical damage to the brain. Whatever happens in that first six to eight weeks, that's actually the maximum recovery you're ever going to experience. So if you have a stroke and you don't learn to walk again within the first six to eight weeks, you never will. If you don't learn to talk again or have cognitive. So in the 80s, that was it. Well, then there were some researchers, Caroline Leaf was one of them, 
who wrote her doctoral dissertation on what we now call neuroplasticity. Mm -hmm. And that is the notion that we can retrain parts of the brain. Mm -hmm. So the part of the brain that says, well, this is how you walk. Well, this is how you talk. Well, this is what you believe. Well, this is who you are. This is how you pronounce that word. That part of the brain isn't destroyed and gone forever. You can actually reassign mm -hmm. that. But she also talks about ruts. And so these dendrites get into a pattern. And the negative talk, for mm -hmm. an example, mm -hmm. is one of those patterns. And once you get into that rut, it's like any old rut. If you've ever been stuck in the mud, you know, those tires just go right where everybody else's tires went. You don't have a whole lot of choice. And so the brain tends to go back to that place. And if the neuropathway is a negative pattern, a negative narrative, that story is just playing itself out again. That's what we hear. That's what seems comfortable. But just like trying to get out of a rut when you're in that in that mud, trying to break the pattern that everybody else has takes a habit. So a yes. neurocycle says it takes 21 days to break a habit, another 21 days to create a new habit, and another 21 days to cement it. So it takes about two and a half months mm -hmm to stop talking negative and start talking positive. And it's that resistance to the norm mm -hmm. that makes it so hard for us to stop believing the negative thing about ourselves. Mm -hmm. I, I brought it into my marriage. Coming into my marriage with an addiction, the first 10 years, mm -hmm. I believed the worst about myself. Mm -hmm. And I was just waiting for the day that my wife would confirm it and go, you're right, you are not worth hanging out with. Um, 10 years into the marriage, she, she used those four words that no man wants to hear. We need, need to, to talk. talk. <laughs> <laughs> That's as bad as turn your head and call. And so when we had that conversation, though, she said, I, I need you to see you the way I do. Mm. And that was a hard challenge. But it sounds to me like that, that's what you're saying through that season and would you say 2016. So it's been a couple of days ago. Yeah, just a few days. So what was the catalyst in 2016 that caused you to go, hang on a minute, I, I'm really sick of this negative stuff. I need something different. I'm ready to face the resistance and face the challenge and fight the hard fight to get out of the rut. Oh my God. Um, it actually, it, it actually started in the, it started in 2015 is when I looked in the mirror. I woke up one morning, it was December. I woke up and I looked in the mirror and <laughs> I was in the bathroom and I was just staring at myself in the mirror and I do not like the person staring back at me. I was overweight. I had no balance. My skin was horrible. I was not happy with myself. I wasn't happy in my marriage. Spiritually, I had a problem with God. I had a problem with the church. I was resentful of my family. I was no longer happy with my job. Everything, it was it was all about me. It was not anybody. It was the unhappiness and the unfulfillment that I felt with myself. I felt as if I had no, what I call balance in my life. I was either way too far, too far right or too far left. I had no, there was no consistency. There was no living with intentionality. There was nothing. I was in an absolute rut. And I had been there for a very, very, very long time. I had been, the walls that I had been, that I had, for, I'm, I'm gonna tell you, I had successfully put into place to handle the emotional things that were lodging inside of me, sexual abuse as a child, neglect, rejection, all those different things, and all the emotions and the weights of life that I had been carrying in my family since I was a very young person the walls were cr the walls were crumbling 
Um, there were quite a few de deaths. My husband and I were going through some things as a, as a, not individually, not as a couple, but he was dealing with the with quite a few deaths that had taken place in 2014 that of course had affected him and in return had affected our relationship. And so it was just a, it was just a, a country of a lot of things. And I woke up that morning and I looked in the mirror and was just absolutely disgusted with the person looking back at me. And I told God, um, because he was the one who challenged me to look. Because before then, I would take a glance, but I wouldn't really look in the mirror. Yeah. I would, and we're just, not talking about just looking at the looking glass. We're talking no, about looking, looking real really deep. in the yeah. mirror. I stay, you know, I'm, I, I will be honest enough with myself to say I stayed, I, I went probably a little deeper than others, but not deep where we had to really get to the root of things and pull it up because I wasn't. I well, just you know wasn't. when that, you know that feeling when it comes and you're like, yeah, I'm not going there. I'm not, not today. I'm not, not today. today. <laughs> not today. We'll do that we next week when there's nobody else around. <laughs> and um, That is not what vacation is for. <laughs> and by this time, God had, when I walked out of 2015, I had just made the decision. I was like, okay, I'm ready. I want to be healthy. I want a healthy mind. I want a healthy body. I want healthy emotions. And more than that, I want a healthy spirit. I want a healthy relationship with you. What I did not realize, uh, which was a couple of things, but the main thing then, and it, it was the start of this process and when I walked out of 2015 and walked into 2016 with the commitment. I don't care what happens or what I have to do. I am going to get healthy. Yeah, I wasn't ready for it. <laughs> I was not ready for it. God really challenged me in those words. I was just doing the show and I said, man, the, the relationship with change, I was not ready for it. And the, the journey of change and the, the work that change requires yeah. and the, the commitment that it requires, I wasn't ready because I'm still in it. But digging up all of that stuff about myself, one of the things that I realized of, you know, I thought I was heartbroken. I thought I was just a lot of different things. I just didn't know myself. I did not know me. How did your husband handle all that? <laughs> well, this. so I started my journey in January of 2016. By June of 2016, he walked in and he asked me for a divorce. He told wow. me he was done. But again, he was going... I tell people this often, when you are in what I call a pit, I was basically in a pit and I started the, uh, just like Joseph, I had started the work to get out of the pit. God was lifting me out of the pit and it looks, it looks horrible. It sounds horrible, but all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. And God knew that I loved him. He just had to reveal himself to me in a different way once I became ready. Um, but when you're in your pit, everybody else around you is being affected by yeah. by it. And most times they're in a pit too. And sometimes your pit is their comfort zone. It is. And I moved out where, where I, where he could normally depend on me to be there and, and do and say, and, uh, and all these different things that had normally been serving us these first six months, I was changing. I was, you know, I was creating hard boundaries for myself. It had nothing to do with anybody else, but I was creating hard boundaries for myself. I was saying no to certain things and I was getting to know myself. I was figuring out where I wanted to go, who I wanted to be, what healthy looked like, all these different things. 
and it moved me out of a lot of places for a lot of people and a lot of people were comfortable you know and they didn't even realize it but they were comfortable in my discomfort and unfortunately it you know as I say it is what it is and he was going through his own thing he was going through his own his grief stages he was going through his own his own journey at the at the time at the same time right. and we just handled it different and so when he came in and he said what he said that that jump start so I had two battles in the middle of I, I mean in the middle of this I, I, I was battling myself and then in, in, in getting my identity back and now we've added heartache in the in the midst right. of this and so that was a whole journey. So there was there was there was a lot going on at this time. And so what did that rough. argument sound like when you scolded God for what He was putting you through? I actually didn't. Really, I never didn't. a time that you were like, "Listen, you I ain't do me no good." <laughs> I did not. I did not scold him. Actually, I will tell you this, and this is one hundred percent honesty. So he told me he wanted a divorce on June twenty eighth, twenty sixteen. It was it was a Sunday and it was the middle of the afternoon and I after we had our conversation and I'm just looking at him like this this really can be real crazy. <laughs> How long were you married? At that time we were we had been together for 20 years. We were married for 16 at that time. Wow. I believe. Um, and I grew up with him. Um, it was all I knew. But after that conversation with him, I remember getting the dog and taking the dog for a walk. And then I went and I, st I stood outside of the garage behind my car and I just looked up at, at heaven and I said, okay, God, I'm ready for you to take me now. I'm ready. You know, cause you know, in my mind, I'm like, we've, we've spent the last few months, you've taken me through some stuff, but I've been committed because this didn't just happen. There were, there were actions, different things that he was doing and changing behavior, right. but I was changing my behavior too at the same time. And, um, I was like, I've stayed faithful. I'm in it. I'm ready. You can take me now. You can. And God said, no. If you've been watching on Traverse TV, well, time is up for you. But if you want to see the rest of this interview, jump over to Rumble. It is on rumble.com slash Norris. We appreciate you being here today. Y'all have a great day. Those of you on Rumble, stay with us. We're not done yet. So you felt like if, if, I'm going to make these changes and he's going to change another way, but I'm doing this because I, I know God's telling me to, then surely we've done enough, God. I, I'm just ready to go home now. Just go ahead and take me. And for real, I literally thought that, you know, I said goodbye to the dog and everything. <laughs> I, <laughs> I did because my dog was my heart. She, you know, she was my heart. But I, I, I did. I thought, I thought that night I was convinced that I would, that he would take me in my sleep. Because, I mean, the, that was my level of faith, and I'm, okay, I'm ready. I woke up the next morning, and I was still there. And Not like the Philistines waking yeah, up dead. no, <laughs> I was still there. So I cried the next day, and I cried the next day. And by Tuesday, it was literally like God looked over at me, and he was like, Shante, how much longer are you going to do this? Yeah, you done with that yet? Yeah. <laughs> it's like a two-year-old with a temper tantrum. Like, how much longer are we going to cry about this? Right. And I was like, okay, well, I, I guess I'm going to get up. And he was like, yeah, let's get up. 
So it was literally, I mean, it was in June. I got up, went and went, went for a run at noon in Texas. In That's June. crazy. Yes. Yeah. And I ran. And as I was running, he, God began to tell me, he said, I'm going to take you on the journey. I'm going to take you on the healing journey. And then I'm going to use your story and use your life to help others. And what I want you to do is I want you to document every single thing, every step, every day, every manner, everything that I give you. I want you to document it. Wow. And that's what we're going to do. And that's what we did. That is exactly what, that, that's the journey that I've been on. It's been, it's been pretty amazing. <laughs> so how's your relationship with him now? With my ex-husband, because we did, we ended up dig, uh, getting a divorce. We, I mean, we never were, don't get, I'm not going to, I'm not going to romanticize it and say, oh, it, there was some challenging times, but we never came out of character. We are actually, we, we talk as friends and good individuals. We are on really good terms. We check in on each other, do all the different types of stuff. But what we understand is we're the, the young people, are different. the young people that we were when we got together, we are no longer those people. And that's okay. And um, I asked him to forgive me for think for the for the pressures of life that I put on him, the responsibilities that I put on him that were never his to to take. And I, you know, believe it or not, I thanked him for what he did because what he did allowed me. It released me to go find myself. How how often when you use that same phrase, I forgave him for who he was, and I asked him to forgive me for the pressures of life that I put on him. How often do you talk to other women who look at you like you've got three heads like and you make I that statement? Like I have lost all my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I mean, you would be, you would really be surprised how often people just, what? Oh, no. You, and the, the only thing I can say is, the plans of God are so much bigger for our life. Right. And when you can step into the plans and the will of God and you can begin to, to see and experience things from God's point of view as opposed to your point and your pain and your hurt and what's been done to you, you can see bigger. And so then you can say, thank you for what you did. Like every person... I even had to, I, I've never met my dad, and I, I struggled with that for a very long time, and that, that rejection that has been for a very long time, that was the underlying foundation of a lot of the things that I did, the people yeah. that I connected with, and I put some pressure on my husband because of that rejection, and I had these underlying fears that said in the subconscious of my mind that I never would address and acknowledge because of that rejection. That was my first. You kind of anticipated that rejection from him I and did. Then made him prove that it wasn't going to happen. I did. I did. And it wasn't right for him. But through this journey, I had to even tell my dad. I didn't tell him, but, you know, I spoke it out loud as if he was sitting right here next to me, a conversation, a conversation with him. I forgive you and I thank you. I thank you for not being present. Because had you been present, I probably would not have become the person that I am. And God would not have me here today. I probably would have been somebody else engaged in some other things. And I wouldn't have been able to find 
me like this. Right. So I even forgive you. And then just let it go. And even let go of the emotions and the feelings that I've experienced because of that. Okay, so now I'm going to ask you some tough questions. You game? Oh, Lordy. Okay. <laughs> Serious tough questions. Okay. So all of this transformation took place in your life mm -hmm. on a personal, intimate, you and God kind of level. Friendships, relationships, I'm guessing things changed a little bit at work mm -hmm. during that season because boundaries come up and mm -hmm. relationships come up. And you're like, you're not going to talk to me like that. Mm -hmm. We're all done with that. Mm -hmm. um, and even being positive all the time, it, that doesn't sit well with some people. Mm -hmm. But also since 2015, when that transformation began to take place, January 2016, um, we got a new president. Mm -hmm created some cultural differences and, and some racial divides and, and challenges at every level of our society. Mm -hmm. Then we had COVID. Mm -hmm. Then we had the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Then we had George Floyd. Mm -hmm. We had riots in the streets. Mm -hmm. We had J6. Mm -hmm. And as much as people would like to think, I'm not involved in any of that. I didn't run for president. I, didn't, I wasn't there when George Floyd was killed. I, I didn't go out and riot in the streets. I wasn't part of BLM. I wasn't part of J6. I wasn't part of, that has nothing to do with me. Mm -hmm. We're all delusional if we truly believe that because it has impacted every human relationship since then. On a cultural level, it's impacted our education, the pandemic. I mean, there are people today who are still wearing masks mm -hmm. and others who are going, the whole thing was fake. It was a plan. And so the, the, those two extremes are so drastically different. How would Shantae 2014 walk through that same season of life. And, and I understand even right now, you're dealing with your mom being in the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, that's not easy on relationships. That's not easy on you. That's not easy on finances. Not, e not easy on siblings. Uh, there's a strain in all of that. But how would the 2014 Shantae deal with all of those things from then to today differently than Shantae 2016? Let's say Shantae 2.0. <laughs> I call it Old Testament Shantae, New oh, Testament okay. Shantae. Okay. That's a, oh, that's a really, really, really good and challenging question. Um, 2014 Shantae probably, and when I say a shell, I'm not going to say so much of I'm going to run and hide, but when I go into a shell of myself, I, I pretty much shut down. I probably become a little angry and... I ignore, I go into straight up, I'm supposed to get out of this whole world and I'm supposed to go into a world that's much more beautiful, much more comfortable where I don't have to deal with no reality. So Shantae of 20, Old Testament Shantae would have, would have, would have shut down. She would have ran into, she would have checked out of this level of reality and went into a whole nother reality. She would have probably been a whole lot more confrontational and held all the anger, you know, been very upset with a lot of people in a lot of situations and would not have been able to see past the things and see, a, because I think everything, this is just me personally, I think everything that, we're, that we face, we've been faced with, everything that we're facing with, we're fighting it on two fronts. We're fighting it in the natural and we're fighting it in the spiritual. And so the Shantae of 2014 would not have really appreciated the, the two wars that were going on for, uh, for humanity, for our, for our families, our relationships, the cultures, 
um, all of that. She would have she would have shut completely down. The Shante, the New Testament Shante is understanding the greater battles that we are engaged in, and it requires her, and she's had to rise above all of that and have some hard conversations with not just people who look like her, but with people who don't look like her, who don't think like her. Uh, before then, I would not, uh, ain't nobody studying you. I'm not, I'm not about to get engaged in all of that. But don't, don't get me wrong. I don't would, suffer fools. Would we have had this conversation in 2014? Oh, Probably sorry. not, because one, I wouldn't be in front of a camera. <laughs> <laughs> There would be none of this. I was I stayed in the shadows. I was I was always hidden. I didn't know I did everything back behind everybody. I would have pushed somebody else in front of in front of the camera to have this conversation. I e being my boss and step in and all this different type of stuff. I would not get in front so of So we probably people. wouldn't have met and had a four hour conversation in a hotel no, lobby. I would not have I would not have been there because that was outside of my comfort zone. That was outside of my world. That was right. outside of my thinking. I knew nothing about positive thinking, personal development, and, you know, definitely wasn't trying to write books and doing all of that stuff. That was a whole nother world for me. I would never have stepped into that. It was because of the change, the journey that even allowed us to get there. No, 2014, Shantae would not, would not be sitting right here. No, <laughs> and she would. That question would have shut her down. Wow. So now I, you know. Now let me ask you this question too, and and I'm not trying to derail your answer. I I think it's fascinating, but I I think there are people that you know I try to engage with to have a conversation because mm-hmm. the way we met, I meet a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I meet a lot of absolute strangers that way, and I guess for some of them it's a, it's a massive challenge. And I tell you a true life story. Cedar Hill, Texas. That's where I grew up. So I'm I'm in the Starbucks there in Cedar Hill, right there on 1382. And a friend of mine, we're both John Maxwell coaches. His name is Michael Jarman, re- retired from the Air Force. And he's sitting up by the window. And I, I see him several times, but he having a conversation with other people. He goes outside and sits at the table with a bunch of other guys. And uh, so I, it's time for me to go to work. I pack up my stuff and head out the door. And he shouts to me, hey, give me a call later. And I turn back to him and I said, why you never answer? And we're just we're just cutting up, right? One of the guys at the table with him was about six seven, about three hundred twenty pounds. I mean, he he looks like the Dallas Cowboys lineman would be scared of him. He's a big big guy, a very dark skinned guy. Mm-hmm. Michael Jarman is a, an African American as well, and everybody at that table was, you know, Cedar Hill. Mm-hmm. I'm the odd man out, right? And so well, now, <laughs> so I'm walking out the door. To get on the bike, I got my helmet under my arm, I got my American flag up on the handlebars. And this big man turns to my friend and he says, hey, N-word, you're not going to let him talk to you like that, are you? And stands up so fast his chair goes flying across the parking lot. And he comes walking toward me. And so I put all my stuff down by my bike and I walk back up to the table and I stick out my hand to shake his hand. And he looks at me like... You Trump loving, and I, I just a long old tirade of whatever. And when he's done, I said, "How do you know who I voted for, mm-hmm. and why do you care?" I sat there for two hours, mm-hmm. and we talked. We talked about Black Jesus. We mm-hmm. talked about politics. We talked about Mayberry. We talked about pretty much everything. <laughs> when we were done, Big O—that was his name. That's what everybody called him. Big O looked at me and he goes, 
before you sat down here, I would have rather run over you with my car than to help you change a tire. Mm. But if you start a church, I'm coming. Mm. And I don't go to church. I was like, that's an interesting perspective. Yeah. But I've had that same kind of just knee-jerk response. People just look at me. I look like Opie, right? I, I, I don't look like I would be friends with everybody. Um, but I, I know there are people that would immediately reject that relationship, that friendship, that conversation mm-hmm. um, just based on who I look like and what they presume I believe. Mm-hmm. How does Shantae New Testament 2.0 uh, address that kind of thing because I'm, I'm guessing the women that you help to empower many of them come to you with a, an attitude similar to that already they're like I, I don't need to listen to nobody am I wrong no am I, you're making, never... am I making an unsafe <laughs> no. assumption um the beauty about my life the beauty about my life is whether I've wanted to or not since I was 19 well actually before that my first job was at radio station in K, uh, K-104. Oh, yeah. That was my very first job. And my second job was at the front office of my high school, Cedar Hill High School. And it's taken me a very long time to really understand this. But God has always been putting me into these complicated, challenging, challenge, Shantae, you, situations with different people and um, different races, different religions, different thoughts. If you if you were to meet my boss, you would literally, you honestly would form a, people, and people form opinions about him all the time. I formed one when I first met him. It couldn't have been more wrong, uh, and he formed one about me. Couldn't have been more wrong. And wow. because of that, we have become, I mean, he's literally my best friend. But... I've constantly been in rooms consistently where I sit as the only person with a certain thought, maybe a certain skin color, uh, a certain religion. Because I'm in the, I mean, I'm I'm sitting in them all the time and I don't like them. I didn't like them. <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't like them. But I begin to understand why it was that God was always doing it. Because now when I sit at the table with people and I have conversations with different women and who look like me, who don't look like me. Sometimes I'm, sometimes we're in agreement. Sometimes we're not. And the people that but you they, would think, they, they think they know how they, you think they do. They make the assumption. They make the assumption that because we are who we are and because, you know, you have the background that you have and which is similar to mine. And because of this, that we are 100% I seek first to understand everybody. I try not to make, well, New Testament, Shantae. Let me, let me make that, let's, let's clarify that. Give it a timeline at <laughs> yeah, least. Yeah, because the old me did not, I made a lot of assumptions. I mean, I walked in with nothing but assumptions about people, about the things that they were going to do, the way that they thought, and was, you know, wrong a whole lot of the time. And that's okay. You learn, from, you, you got to do it to, learn, from to right. learn from it. But, it's always interesting. That's the reason why I listen to I listen to people more before I talk. Now yeah. I allow people to converse, and I respect everybody's. I, res, I respect every person's thought, their positions, their experience. I like to hear, you know, how it is that they got to 
thinking the way that they're thinking, you know, all the different types of stuff. But I, you would be, you would be amazed. You would be amazed. And how people would look at me and like, oh, and then they ask, you know, they ask you the same questions. Well, who did you vote for? Well, that's, you know, all due respect. I didn't ask you who you vote for. That's none of your business. And why does it matter? It does not, it, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. I had so many different conversations with so many people on both sides of the spectrum about even taking COVID shots and different, you know, it, it, no, seriously. And there, even, even within my own family and, and some of my sisters and it, it would, it was very interesting, but at the end of the day, the thing that the, I, I, I handle everybody the way that I believe God handles me and it's with choice and I respect yeah. every person's choice. I respect your choice to believe how you believe. I respect your choice to act how you act. I respect your choice to do what you do. I respect your choice to voice how you feel. I respect all of that. The only thing I ask, which is the conversations that I have with different people when we sit in these settings, give me the same respect. Let's respect each other and respect the difference of our opinions. You tell me how you feel. I tell you, you know, what my thought is. And, you know, as the Bible say, uh, it, it, I'm gonna mess it up, so don't hear <laughs> me. But you know, when you're when you're trying to win a brother, you know the way that you approach it, because you may you you know you, they may become a friend. So you have to be you got to be careful about the way that you approach people, handle people, even pass judgment on people. It's 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 a thing. It, it really is amazing to me because it again we come back to the collection of stories that we've been led to believe, the stories that we've heard the things that we've accepted, the things that we've believed, and then we tend to follow along with the ones that are comfortable because we believe them, mm -hmm. and we only believe them because we've heard them so many times for so long. Mm -hmm. And then when they come to that, when they bubble up to the surface, and you realize, people really think like that? Yeah. I mean, are, are there really? I remember being at a, a Christian Literary Awards Banquet, and we just had our camera set up, we are doing some interviews, and I overheard some ladies um, standing off to the side. And one of them says to the other one, you know, if we weren't at a Christian banquet, I'd go shopping right now. That camera guy just left all that stuff laying here. And I'm like, is that a thing? I mean, do you, do you think like that? Do you talk like that? And it, it, it never crossed my mind that people... A would think like that. B would just say that out loud, like it was a like that was a common expectation. But then I see, you know, Nordstroms—they're taking three hundred thousand dollars worth of handbags and, and spraying bear spray in the faces of the security team on the way out the door. I'm like, there's something wrong with our society. It, you know, I do not put anything past anybody. Now, yeah. there was once once a time period when my eyes were really, really, really blind to a whole lot of stuff. And I was probably very naive or, or just chose not to see what was. But now I have to, I, I have to say I'm, I'm constantly like, wow, do we really think that way? But it's the, you know, unfortunately it's the day and time that we are in. It is. And yeah. it, um, it's heartbreaking. It really is, which is why, which is why what we do is so important and is so, is so essential to be, I, I was, I was asking myself the other day as I was leaving the hospital, 
because I've just been it's just been a hard time and you know hard times bring out the true character of people yeah just like what you just I mean it's the times that we were living in everybody wasn't this open this mean this ugly this the times have brought out the true character of a person difficult hard and as I was as I was leaving the hospital I said out loud to God, I said, I wonder, am I being the leader that I would follow with the way that I'm handling this hard time that I'm in right now? Because this is not easy. The way that I think and the things that I'm doing, am I being the type of leader that I would follow? And I had to, I had to, I had to sit down, take a moment to sit down and evaluate that in hard see, times. That by and itself was, is, a, is a demonstration of a leader's heart. Because so many people, it's all about them. It's how do I get the next recognition? It's how do I do the next thing? It's how do I self-aggrandize? Mm -hmm. Instead of the self-assessment that says, could I do what I'm doing better? How do, I, how do I make me better? How do I make me more impactful? How do I take me to the next level? And so many people are just simply not willing to ask that question. They want to blame the fault of society. They want to blame the narrative. They want to blame the media. They want to blame the election cycle. They want to blame the, beha the public behavior of other people. And I'm, I look at all that and I'm like, it, when you look at the grand scheme of life, like you said, I think this is probably the most powerful thing of, of what we've talked about today. There are two battles going on at the same time. Mm -hmm. Those who are focused only on that terrestrial battle and ignoring the secondary mm -hmm. battle will never win the secondary battle. Because they get caught up in the idea that it's all about me. Mm -hmm. The minute you step into that secondary battle and go, it's not all about me, mm -hmm. then you realize that part of that battle is making it all about you. <laughs> no, and the minute you can true. turn that, you're yeah. like, okay, so I can fix me, yes. and that will help everybody. And if everybody said, I'm not trying to get minds from everybody else, I'm just going to take care of what I'm looking mm -hmm. at in the mirror and who I am, mm -hmm. that narrative alone would change the world we live in. It would change our leadership. It would change our politics. It would change our culture. It would change the way we embrace each other. I, I love watching some of the videos during the BLM and Antifa, and I know those are two separate organizations and movements. During the, the things happening in the streets, uh, like after the Dallas police shooting, mm -hmm. when people from the two different camps walked across the street and hugged okay. each other, mm -hmm. and you're like, that's what humanity looks like. The rest of this nonsense is it's, stirred up, made up battle that we don't have to fight. I agree. I agree. And we don't have to engage in, be intentional about engaging in. Because, right. it, you know, my mama always, mom always, just because they say something don't mean you got to say something back. Yeah. And, and just because they say <laughs> something don't mean you got to believe it. <laughs> right. It's, it's a, um, but I love the quote, and it's, it's, it's Leo, I can't remember his name, but everybody wants to change the world but nobody wants to change themselves. Wow, that's perfect. Because that's where it starts. And I hate that we have run out of time, but it, it, it has been incredible. I'll have to have you back in the studio, and next time we'll make sure there's nobody booked behind you <laughs> so we can just talk and talk and talk forever because I, I really appreciate it. Uh, in the last couple of minutes, tell everybody where they can find you. I know you're part of Win Win Women, yes. and you've got all kinds of other stuff doing, uh, going on in, in ministry and leading people. Most of what I see on your social media is you at the gym. <laughs> Working love, on self. Yes, working on self. I believe uh, it's, again, it starts in the natural and yeah. then manifests itself in the spirit. You can connect with me. We I do have a weekly show on winwinwomen.tv network called Next Level Conversations, which are conversations like this with other women who've gone through different things and some of the tools that they've used to 
overcome those challenges. I am on every social media platform that there is, either under Shante, Kenny, or Next Level, and that is N-E-X. L-E-V-E-L, without a T. I tell with everybody, no I don't need a T. <laughs> <laughs> but that's where you can connect with me, YouTube, TikTok, everywhere. Anywhere there is something positive, that's probably where I'm at. Excellent. Well, I very much appreciate your time. Thank you Sunshine. for having me. It was my honor to have it you in the studio. Great being here. Thank you all for watching Lead the Narrative TV. Remember, the stories that you tell yourself, the stories that you tell the world, the stories that you tell everybody will shape the future of the world that we live in. There's going to be a moment in your life that you're going to look in the mirror and you're going to realize it hasn't always been like this. And the real question you're going to, ask, you're going to have to ask yourself is, what have I done to preserve what I hold dear? And what did I let go of by saying nothing? I'm J. Lauren Norris with Lead the Narrative TV. Have a blessed day.